Book Four, Chapter Three of Precious Bane by Mary Webb. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. The Deathly Bane. Tis hard, and very hard, to write of the wintry time we went through after that night of grief and bitter woe. For when the quill has traced out good words of a kind meaning, it irks it to make them sad and evil. But sad and evil that time was, and there is no use in gainsaying it. For many days after the fire, the work of the farm stood still, as it often will after a death. Gideon's one thought was to get at Beguildy or if not that, to make him suffer the utmost of the law. Mrs. Beguildy was forced to give up the stone house, for the landlord did not want a man there who burnt ricks, nor his folk, so he made the excuse of the rent being late to turn them out. Everything was sold, and Mrs. Beguildy and Jancis went off to Silverton, where Beguildy lay in prison waiting for the assizes with only what they stood in. At least poor Jancis didn't stand, for when she heard the dreadful news of what Gideon had said, which I told her mother to break to her as best she could, she fell down on the floor and stirred neither hand nor foot, nor spoke a single word. They carried her to the wagon from Flash Farm, which was to take her and her mother away and they say she lay there like a broken flower. Maybe it was as well, for if her strength hadn't gone from her, she'd have tried to see Gideon, and I do think he'd have struck her down in his bitter, smouldering rage. It seemed to ease him to hear of their misfortune, and when the day came for them to go, he went off to a place in the woods where he could see the wagon pass by and stood there looking down upon it, with the sullen farm labourer driving, misliking having anything to do with folk in such evil case in men's sight, and poor Mrs. Beguildy sitting in the wagon all aged and wild, and Jancis lying on some straw at the bottom, like a white waxen image. I know, because Miller's Tim was in the wood at the time, and he came running to me, frit out of his life pretty near, to tell me all about it. Oh, Prusan, I was in the wood after a two-three nuts, he says, and I saw Mr. San a-walking by lonesome, very glooming and drodsome, and I was feared, so I did hide in a tree. And Mr. San went under the boughs of the big beech, where the road through the wood comes by. And in a while there was a rumbling, and I saw the wagon from Plash, and Mrs. Beguildy crying and taking on awful, but I couldn't see Jancis, so I clomb the tree to see if she was in the bottom of the wagon, and there she was. She did look like a dead maid. Oh, she did look like the picture in the church of the little maid as was dead in the house when they fetched the Lord in. And he says, Rise you up, he says. Only he hadn't said it to Jancis. And I was feared, and I came down quiet from the tree, and I saw Mr. San staring down upon the wagon, for you do know there is a bit of a bank just there. And his face did frit me, so that I made to run off. 
only then he stirred so i kept quiet for fear he might come my way he gloomed upon the wagon a long while till the rumbling went ever so quiet and one no more than the noise of a startleby buzz when it be gone past and then there was no sound at all save the noise of a throstle banging a conker on a stone and mr sand did lift up both his fists and shake em after the wagon and oh prue his face was like the face of the lord jehovah in fathers book when his anger was not turned away then he went away slow looking upon the ground and the throstle went on banging the conker on the stone and i runned to you and that was how the properest man in our countryside did see the girl of his choice go a girl like a water-lily bud as loved him right well i said to myself it be the bane oh it be the dreadful bane but after that gideon seemed more at ease in himself and i think it was that he had mistrusted his own heart being afraid that if chances came to him he'd give in and his purpose was not to give in but to begin all over again and go straight forward to his fixed end and aim the morning after they'd gone he fetched out the ploughs and came to the kitchen door and called to me as i was making gruel for mother who was abed again and had been ever since the fire taking naught but gruel or a posset and he said come and start of the big field oot prue i thought it was best not to give him a nay word at all so i said ah i'd come i took the gruel to mother and said should i get tivy to come and sit with her a bit now and again seeing as we were starting on the ploughing and she says oh that bitter old ploughing and maybe all the corn'll be burnt like the last no wedding nor house nor china nor nothing only the pigs to tend again come the spring but maybe i wanna see the spring i'm very middling prue you mun get the doctor's mon to me i doubt and indeed her poor hands were very thin and shrunken and her small face browner and thinner and she seemed more like a lost bird or a trapped creature than ever and more in fear of gideon dunna let him come in till i be better she'd say dunna let my son son come and make me feel as i'm a burden he dunna love me he'd leave i was dead and sodded and she'd lift up her hands beseeching so i got tivy to come and mind her and all that winter of dark weather dark within as well as without we ploughed turning over the stubble of that good harvest we'd lost we were poorer than ever and things didn't prosper so well as they had there being no heart in us there were tivy's meals to find as well for though she came for love being sweet on gideon yet we had her victuals to find and she was a very hearty feeder the doctor's man cost a lot also and the worse the weather was the more he charged about the new year there was a bitter cold spell and ice on the roads so his horse came down and broke its leg and we had to pay summer towards that things seemed to go from bad to worse for gideon kept me so hard at it driving plough that i was forced to leave the dairy work and the fowls and pigs to tivy 
and she was ever a bit flighty and careless, so folks began to complain about the butter, and the fowls laid badly, and the pigs began to look thin and unkind, and Tivy thought of nothing but to make herself look pretty and temptuous for Gideon. As January went on, the weather got worse, and we had a heavy fall of snow, and mother was so bad one night that I was forced to send for the doctor's man again. At least send I didna, for nobody would go, the snow being deep. There was nothing for market, the cows being dry all but one, and eggs scarce. So Gideon didna go to Lullingford, and I made up my mind to go on Sunday, when even Gideon didna plough, and once at Lullingford I could send word to the doctor by the Silverton coach. This I did, and a weary day I had of it, and a sad day also, passing the empty house of Kester Woodseaves, and thinking maybe some ill might come to him in the great city, or he might meet a lover there, and so come no more to Lullingford. But I was glad of this weary day after, for there be times when the only comfort a body has is the remembrance of hardship borne for somebody dear. When the doctor's man came after a good few days, he was forced to bide with us some time on account of the badness of the roads. This irked Gideon for the expense of the food and also his nags keep. He was the more put out because the doctor's man gave a good account of mother, for he seemed to think she should have been at death's door afore I called the man to come from so far away. I mind we were sitting round the hearth late on a wild night, with hailstorms tabering on the window, and a good clear fire that we were mighty glad of. The doctor's man was a pleasant-spoken person, round and short and ruddy, with a bright red colour on his cheeks that looked as if it had a good glaze over it. He was always rubbing his hands, as if the last patient had pleased him very well. But you could never tell from this how the person had prospered, for he'd rub his hands as much over a corpse as over a quick person. And indeed, I sometimes thought more. He was rubbing them while we talked about mother, though not so much as he did when he told us of poor Mrs. Beguildy, who had ailed more and more ever since she got to Silverton, and was now said to be going into a decline. It wasna that he was an unkind man, or wished folk harm. Only naturally it was more interesting to him if they were took for death than if they were only a little ailing. Mrs. Sarn'll pull through now nicely, she will, he said. Oh, says Gideon, her'll pull through, will her? Ah, and last a many years, I should no wonder. A wiry old lady, tough, for all she's thin and nesh-looking. How many years, says Gideon. Oh, it's hard to say. Doctor might be able to, but of course I only be like his prentice. But it might be as much as ten, easy. Ah, I should say ten, with care. Ten years? Gideon said it in a very strange way. Ah, but you man cosset her. Ten years, and always like this? Oh, ah, her'll be bedridden winters, and maybe all the year round later on. And she'll be no more use? 
Use? Why, what use could she be? And you coming over a two, three times every winter, I suppose. Oh, ah, if you send for me, says Doctor's man, taking a pull at his ale and helping himself to another piece of bread and cheese, which made Gideon scowl. Whenever be you going to clear supper, Prue, he says, I've had my bellyful this long while. Oh, but you're such a poor eater, San, Tivy cries out. It's wonder you're not clemmed. You want a wife to cook for ye, and serve up temptuous dishes. Chitterling puffs now, they're as different from plain chitterlings as heaven from hell. I made some Sunday was a week, and neither Feather nor Sammy spoke a word all day after. They were that contented in their innards. Oh, dear me, I do wish I wasn't a married man, says the doctor's chap. Ah, in good sadness I wish it. If you wanna, it wouldn't be no manner use, says Tivy pertly. I like a big man. Gideon took no notice any more than he did of the chitterling puffs. A very big man, went on that forehead little piece, and dark. Big shoulders, big hands, arms with great big lumps of muscle and sinew, big feet, strong legs. Why, missus, you be giving a list like the list in the Song of Solomon, says doctor's man. And hard, went on Tivy, taking no notice but fixing her eyes on Gideon. Hard and never tired, lusty and lungeous and ill to thwart, but a good lover, ah, and fiery, and not to be gainsaid by the girl he's a mind for. That's the man for me, ah, that's the man Sexton's Tiviera would be a right good missus to, with no other thought but to save and scrape and scratch to do his will and make him rich. Well, you should have been a lawyer, missus, so you should, says the visitor. And if you don't get what you want, may I be bottled in spirits like a tadpole. But Gideon never lifted his eyes to Tivy at all, only sat and glowered till she'd gone to bed. Then he said again, And she'll last for years, always ailing but lasting on. Ah, indeed to goodness, creaking doors, you know, but you man see you keep her pulse strong. There's the danger. If it wanna kept strong, she's very likely to go off quiet and sudden, before you'd time to say sarsaparilla. Keep the pulse strong, and she'll be as merry as a robin. We talked a bit more, and then Gideon said he was going to look at the stock before turning in. The brindled longhorn's very middling, he said. Seems to be in a fever all the while. Hearts like to burst sometimes. I suppose a dose of foxglove had put her right, maybe? Ah, foxglove'll lower the pulse as quick as anything. But you mun be careful. Be she a young cow? Going for. Dunna give her too much, then. When things get old and worn out, they canna stand much of it. When the visitor was gone to bed, and Gideon back from the shippen, he sat down, hopeless-like, and said, her means dying. What, Brindle, I says? Ah, seems like that old devil's put a curse on me all right. It's only the weather and Tivy being a bit careless, and me so busy at it ploughing. 
and there's mother he says as was used to help a bit no use and less than no use a heavy burden we'll never pick up now she's like that don't let her know you think it i said but the very next day when i took her supper there was gideon standing in the mid of the room talking very loud and mother like a frittened mouse well he was saying you be very middling mother ah i be ailing san she says with her smile it mun be a sorrow to you that you canna do a hand's turn ah it be san but come the warm weather i'm in behopes to see to the broody hens and the rest of the fowl ah and the ducks and the cade lambs but not the pigs well if tim could mind em a bit longer i'd be glad it does make me so rheumaticky down by the water there it's a big expense giving that great lad his tea every day i know it be and i'll be as quick as i can getting better san i shouldna think life's much of a pleasure to you ailing so it be weary time and again but in between i'm pretty comfortable what with the rheumatics and the cough and the sinking feeling i should think you'd as lief be in the better land when it pleases the lord to take me to the better land i mun go without complaint but i'd liefer be in life for life i do know and the worst of it but the better land i dunna know you know there's no coughs nor rheumatics there nor sinking feeling nor chimney corners nor cups of tea she says and i doubt it'll be too grand for me san but gideon standing in the mid of the room and talking very loud said you'd as lief be dead as quick he went away then but every evening he went in again and talked in the same way which seemed a pity to my mind for though he might mean to cheer her up and though folk never seem to think it matters what you say to the sick yet it seemed to me melancholy talk for a poor old ailing woman but at last one evening at the end of march in a spell of wet muggy weather when the rheumatics were very bad she said when he came to what he always ended with i should think you'd as lief be dead as quick well maybe i would san and that seemed to content him he left off coming every evening which eased mother for she was more in dread of him than ever nowadays so that even tivy noticed it i thought when april came in things seemed to be going better mother being more cheerful though still very weak i got on better with my work being free of worry and mother seemed quite happy with tivy we were working harder than ever and my clothes hung about me but i didna mind that i was sowing the big field with wheat while gideon went on ploughing it was grand out there in the fresh of the morning with purple shadows on the wet earth and the sun rolling up beyond the woods and sarnmere like pale blue crackled glass with the light behind it times the sky would be all pale blue too with larks hanging in it times the big white clouds like new-washed and carded wool stood upon the tops of the budding trees 
The bright colours made me think of the coloured weaving, which I supposed Castor would have pretty near mastered by now. Though no word had come since Christmas of his doings or his well-being, I felt in myself that all was right with him. At Christmas the Silverton coachman had left a little packet for me at the mug of cider, and when I was wrought back to the attic, I found within a bit of cloth woven in two colours, and a letter. London Town, Christmas. Dear Prusan, this is to wish you well as it leaves me. I can do two colours now, as you see by pattern. The women here are poor things, pale and small, mostly fair, and not a real melting dark eye among them. I was bid to a banquet at the house of an alderman that is a weaver. There was a young wench sat by me that had spared her bodice stuff, but not her blushes. I called to mind a dark stone chamber and young Camperdine's face in the shadows, and a woman that did what she did for loving kindness and in bitterness of spirit, but did look like an apple blossom fairy all the same, and did light a fire in one chap as will be very hard to doubt. And so, a happy Christmas and a good New Year from Castor Woodseaves. I may say that letter was in rags by April, as if the mice had been at it. I had sent him a letter for Christmas also, and this was it. San, Christmas. Dear Weaver, please find herein a lockram shirt. If you wear it, they say you'll take no harm from the smallpox or other ills. I wove it and made it of hemp, and said a good few old righteous charms over it, but no unrighteous ones. I often call to mind the day we watched the dragonflies, at the time of the troubling of the waters, when the lilies were in blow. So farewell for now, and God send you happy. Yours obediently, Prudence San. The seventh of April being a very clear-coloured morning, I called the weaving to mind, and so, as I went up and down the field sowing the bright seed, I sang Barley Bridge. Shift your feet in nimble flight, you'll be home by candlelight. Open the gate as wide as the sky, and let the king come riding by. Would Castor ever come riding to San from London town, I wondered? For the fair, he said, it come, at the time of the troubling of the waters, when the lilies were in blow all along the marges of the mere, looking at their angels, and when blue kingfisher flies and the bright luster-coloured damsels were coming out of their shrouds. I was thinking thus, when I looked up, and there was Tivy coming running in a great courant, all distraught. Come quick, Prue, she says. Hers took very bad. The tea didn't agree. He says, give it her strong, he says, for it'll do more good the like of thatn. So I did, and she said it was a bitter brew, but she drank it, and in a while she went ever so quiet, and I couldn't hear her breathe, and then she gave a guggle and whispers, go for Prue. I was only just in time to kiss mother, who was all shrunken down in her pillows. She whispered, a bitter brew, and smiled, and caught her breath, and was gone. 
After a while I says to Tivy, where's that tea? But she'd thrown it away. Gideon, I said, was there bane in that tea you did tell Tivy to give mother? Now what do I know what Tivy did give to mother, says he. Oh, San, you did know, cries Tivy. You said give it her strong, you did. Hold your tongue, you little liar, shouts Gideon, or I'll thank you to tell Prue what you and me were doing in the loft Sundays a week. With that, Tivy went as red as fire and hushed. I could make nothing of them. I sent for the doctor to see what mother died of, and he said, were we in the habit of giving her digitalis, a strange word that I didn't know, but he spelled it out for me, and I wrote it down, so I said no, I'd never heard tell of it. So he says, foxglove, foxglove. Foxglove, I says, no, whatever should I give her that for? What indeed? he says, looking at me very sharp. What do puzzle me, sir, I says, is what mother died of. She was beginning to pick up so nice. That's what I want to know too, he says. Maybe we ought to have a crowner's quest, sir, I says. Oh, you'd be willing to have an inquest on the body? Why, yes, indeed, if it was right and proper. Well, if you're willing to have it, there's no need to have it. He was a very peculiar man. I couldn't make him out at all. I was doubtful, he says, but if you're willing, it's nothing but old age, I expect. They go like that in the spring sometimes, and it's a great trouble and expense, an inquest, all just for the flicker of a doubt, and can't do the poor woman any manner of good. So, if you're willing, we won't bother with an inquest. I could make neither head nor tail of that, but remembering that Doctor was an educated man, I left off trying to understand him, for there's as much of a mystery about an educated man that's been schooled and college proper as there is about the Trinity. So, being busy over the funeral and all, I thought no more about him, but I grieved sorely for Mother because as she lay in coffin she did look like a frozen bird foredone with winter end of book four chapter three